Welcome to this week's Two Men in the Middle. This is where two men in the middle of the country get together and talk about politics, current events, and other fun stuff. I am Craig Huey. I'm Brandon Kinnig. Well, Brandon, we're right back to where we've been before uh, and right back to where we knew we were headed to. Trump's third indictment is uh, live today. He appears at the courthouse in Virginia. This is the big one. This is the D.C. January 6th riot. Um, give me your thoughts. 24 hours, 36 hours after the, annou- uh, the announcement of this indictment. Tell me a little bit about what you've heard, kind of where the people you follow, where they're coming from, and your general thoughts on where we are heading into Trump's third third indictment. There, there's so much to unpack. It's almost like a stream of consciousness. And I'll start by saying we cannot ignore the enormity and significance of this moment. And I feel like, again, this, like you said, this is the third indictment in four months, actually. So it's almost like we're becoming numb <laughs> to yeah. the number of times this man has been indicted. But this is so far from normal. And the indictment itself is the indictment of all indictments. This is indictment directly related to Trump's effort to remain in office, to stay in power, stage a coup, and act um, unconstitutionally against the um, electoral yeah. outcome. These and are so that's why this matters. While president. Right. And so this is why this is so different than the other indictments, which all pertain to activity that happened before or after his presidency. This one is directly related to conduct while he was in president, president and uh, conduct that uh, directly resulted in the January 6th insurrection that continues to have uh, ramifications today. And so I think for me, when the news came down, it wasn't surprising, but I did have to take a step back. And the charges were interesting. I think that, again, depending on where you get your news, uh, there was Hmm. obviously on the left, it was like, finally, we've been waiting for this moment. On the right, it was the recycled defenses of Trump that we saw play out again, that he's being persecuted. This is deep state. Um, You even saw that from some of the candidates, people like Tim Scott, who continued with this two-tier justice system mantra, which is ridiculous and doesn't apply. And um, Ron DeSantis as well, who, you know, came out with this ridiculous notion that somehow, you know, the federal case in D.C. should be moved to the defendant's, you know, local state of residence, which isn't how this works. It's that's where the crime was committed was in the District of Columbia. But so it it wasn't surprising. But I guess what is surprising is there are some notable figures on the right whose response to this particular case have been more muted. Um, So while they may uh, be defending Trump somewhat, it's not to the extent they have and with the other indictments, because they recognize this is also different legal footing. Uh, So it's yeah, I, I, it's remarkable on many fronts, but you know, I think we can't get past the fact that we are going to have a, a former U.S. president facing at least three trials, with possible possibility of a fourth. The president was arraigned today in court. These charges were handed down. Another big surprise is that uh, incitement. A lot of people were banking on incitement being a charge, there. and that wasn't there. Now. A lot of legal analysts have said that would have been the more difficult charge to prove and to make a case for in court versus the charges that were included. 
And so I wanted to take a moment just because this matters so much to actually read the actual charges. There are four charges. Number one, one count of conspiracy to defraud the United States. So that relates directly to the effort uh, to spread false claims about the election, knowing that they were not true. Trump being told by numerous people yeah. in his legal and political circles that um, there were was no election fraud. He continued with that lie and attempting to discount uh, legitimate votes, have legitimate votes thrown out. So those would that would pertain to the efforts in Arizona, Arizona, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, to basically have uh, the state legislature just install Trump electors and overwill the people in those states. Number two, one count of conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding. That relates directly to the attempt to stop the certification of the vote on January 6th. And so Trump and his allies were calling people like Senators Ted Cruz. And Senator Tommy Tuberville and several other Senate allies to persuade them to halt the certification under this pretense of having the state legislatures uh, do an audit uh, and recertify their results. And again, this request was not surfacing from the state legislatures themselves. This was all part of that ruse to halt the certification. We know this was all a ruse because the idea was if we can buy time, or the Trump's idea was if we can buy time and not certify on January 6th, you know, we can hang on to power. Uh, There was talk by Jeffrey Clark, um, who worked for Trump, about um, uh, using the military to declare martial law, seize voting machines, uh, use the Insurrection Act of 1807, to basically quell any protest. So it was a completely undemocratic plan that they had. But that's what that uh, count of uh, obstruction uh, pertains to, is um, the attempt to block the official certification. And then lastly, number four, we have one count of conspiracy against rights. And that refers directly to the attempt to disenfranchise millions of voters in those four key swing states of Arizona, Michigan, Pennsylvania, uh, and uh, Georgia, and basically toss out their votes, which is what they were attempting to do in court, is just have those votes tossed out. And so millions of people would have been disenfranchised. So it's a very clear indictment. I mean, the four accounts are very succinct. Um, conspiracy to defraud, conspiracy to obstruct, um, actual count of obstruction, and uh, an official proceeding, and then the count of conspiracy against the rights when it comes to the actual voters and having them disenfranchised. And I think we're going to learn more in court as well. It's interesting that you have people from Trump's uh, prior orbit, like uh, Bill Barr, who have come out and said this is really just the tip of the iceberg. We can expect to see and hear more in court. And then what's also fascinating is that throughout this entire process, um, much of what is being relied upon appears to have come from Mike Pence's own documentation that he did, which was very thorough of his conversations with Trump, especially when he was being pressured by Trump to vote against certifying in the Senate. He not only noted those conversations, but that was what was handed over to DOJ as part of this investigation. Did you see uh, Pence kind of finally, you know, 
get a put spine. His, put his hands on his hips and I saw, straighten yeah. out and, and say, I've, I've had enough of this, doggone it, and I'm tired of talking to crackpot lawyers. And Pence finally seemed to found his spine and his footing, but it seemed like a little too late and not really a, not really a lot to Yeah, it. where was that Mike Pence the last two years, right? I, it, that's a good question. And he still, he still didn't come out and say Trump should drop out. No. He still didn't come out and say he would convict him. So which, he, he's getting there, but he's not quite there which yet. Which is ironic because he said that he also – he did make one of his strongest statements to date, which is um, somebody who would violate the Constitution like that should never serve as president again. But yet when he's been asked directly whether or not he would vote for Trump for president, he punts on that. Well, if you're going to say on one hand somebody like that should never serve as president yeah. again, it should be pretty easy to say you would not vote for that person. I, I would think so. You mentioned, too, where you got your news is something that really is going to dictate what kind of news you got on this and what the starting point was for talking about this indictment. If you listen to Fox or one of the conservative ends, it, this is a strict First Amendment, first, first, first Amendment free speech case, and that Trump is being um, targeted for disinformation, which is not a crime. And all of this boils down to a First Amendment issue of Trump's free speech. And I think the first 24 hours kind of really focused around that, that, hey, taking bad legal advice or uh, telling somebody that, hey, you know, get ready to be a, a uh, an alternative elector because we might need you, that that's all covered under protective speech and, and there's certainly nothing nothing criminal about that. It feels like that was the first place and we started there for about 24 hours. And now we've all kind of pivoted to, okay, looking through this, don't think this is a, a First Amendment case. This is more about fraud, about the, the, the slate of electors and how a fraudulent slate of electors, there was a conspiracy to produce a fraudulent slate of electors to produce to, to Mike Pence. And yes. I think that's where people are starting now to, to dial down. Well, it's, it's one thing to just repeat ad nauseum that you won, the election was rigged. But Trump went beyond that, and his allies went beyond that because they actually acted upon that. As you said, there was a conspiracy to defraud the United States. Yeah. There was a conspiracy to obstruct official proceedings. There was the obstruction of an official proceeding, the certification. That was stopped and had, you know, due to mm-hmm. the insurrection and had to start again. Um, and the conspiracy count relates to everything they did to stop it beforehand. And then there was the attempt to deny rights via the disenfranchisement um, that they fought over and over again of uh, all those millions of voters across those four states. And so that is all out in the open and the planning, the strategizing. And what's going to be very difficult for Trump's legal team is that there is a whole host of officials that were involved that are cooperating. There's the recorded conversations. There's the the repeated warnings he received from people around him saying, do not listen to these crackpot lawyers. This legal theory is invalid. This effort is invalid. There was no large-scale election fraud. And he sidelined those people and specifically cherry-picked people who would validate his belief system. The other thing, too, that immediately the, the, the conservative media jumped to is this idea that if Trump truly believed he won the election, there's no legal basis for any of these charges. And it's taken about 36 hours, and it'll take another two or three days, I think, until that finally chips away. 
And we get to the understanding that what Trump believed, if he won the election or not, is irrelevant to participating right. in a criminal conspiracy. On its face, I mean, that's just an absurd claim. Because if you you know, expand that to anything, you can say, well, I believe this to be the case, so sure. therefore I acted in good faith. Like, no, I mean, there is consequence for your actions, and you can believe something all you want. Um, there are plenty of people who commit criminal acts who believe in something that's false or believe in an ideology. That does not acquit them of their crimes. Yeah, I like the example that was really easy for me is, let's say, Brandon, I am convinced you've stolen my phone. I know it. Doesn't matter what evidence is is presented. I am 100% in my mind convinced you have my phone and I break into your car to get it back. That that doesn't my false belief. Yeah. Doesn't, it's not like oops, sorry. <laughs> or let's say let's say we're going to kidnap somebody, okay? Yeah. And we buy rope and we buy um no, hold on, let me let, let me think, let, let me do a different one. That that was a bad one. Let's say we're going to start a new cryptocurrency um scam and we're going to try to scam people into buying two men in the middle um cryptocurrency (laughs) and we buy a whole bunch of things to to equip this 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 scam okay and then i go out and i give a speech at some place talking about the value of cryptocurrency and how other ones are bad and and this one is good while that speech might be protected as freedom of speech, the fact what makes it illegal is the fact that I'm giving it to you in bad faith in attempt to defraud. Right. So once you have established that whatever I am doing, it doesn't matter if I what I believe in or what I say, if I am doing the if I'm committing the act that is overriding anything of what I might thought. I may have thought that this election was stolen. That doesn't give me the right to act upon and do things illegally in order to bring that – in order to, to act upon that first, that first notion that I thought the election was stolen. And again and – That's going to come out and become very clear to people very soon. It's going to be very clear at trial. And to borrow, again, uh, former Attorney General Bill Barr's turn of phrase, tip of the iceberg – we know from what little has been released from Mike Pence's notes that um, when he resisted uh, Trump's pressure, he was told by Trump that he was too honest. You need to stop being yeah, too honest. That's that in of itself to- tells you that Trump knew that his actions were wrong, that what he was doing was wrong, and he didn't care. Okay, I, I remember my kidnap um, analogy here. So let's say you and I are going to kidnap somebody. and at, Okay, no, let's say you're going to kidnap somebody— I'm really screwing this up. Playing legal, playing lawyer on a podcast is really fun. You just get in areas <laughs> that you don't know anything about. Right. It becomes very quickly. The point I'm stammering and struggling to make is that you can do things that show your, your – you, you, you can believe you're not committing a crime. But if you do things involved in committing that crime, it shows your intent. Right? Right. I, I wasn't going to be involved in this kidnapping, but I went out and bought duct tape – a rope and a voice changer when we ask for the the ransom. Those are all things that show your your guilty intent. And I think one of the things that Trump is really going to struggle with is everybody knows the story of January 6th. It was put out for the whole world to see. I cannot believe there are not 12 people that's going to sit on this jury that are going to find it pretty easy to understand what Trump's intent was throughout this entire episode. 
I just don't think that's going to be a hard bridge to cross to tell to tell these people, hey, Trump knew what he was doing. He knew he lost the election. And then we're going to bring in 15 to 25 witnesses, people like Mark Meadows, who say Trump told me all the time he understood he lost. So this idea that it's impossible to get into Trump's mind and it's impossible to know his intent, therefore, that's not going to be an effective part or, or you can't, you can't, that's going to be an effective presentation in court that you're going to say, well, he didn't know there or he thought, therefore, all of this is, is now acceptable. There's no jury in the world that's going to, that's going to buy that in my, in my book. No, that's going to be completely contradicted by the testimony we're going to hear in court from those around him by his actions that day. Like, I mean, everything that was put into motion. I mean, there's no shortage of action that was taken. And so much of it has been documented uh, to a very uh, detailed degree. You know, and what was great is that the January 6th committee in Congress laid all of this out, too. They laid the foundation yeah. for this. So as you said, in terms of the storytelling aspect, uh, you know, the, the country and the jurors will know the story of how we got here. And then here's yeah. the detail of why Trump is responsible for his part in this and why these charges are factual. Yeah, I don't I don't know why right wing media is so into this that, well, you can never know his intent. This is an intent crime. You can't crawl inside anybody's mind. There's no possible way you could convince a jury that he knew this was stolen if he said that it wasn't stolen. And I just find that very, very difficult to to believe, especially because all of this was out in the open and everybody knows what happened on the 6th. What kills him too is that like 71 minutes that he just went silent with everybody. Right. I mean, if he didn't have the intent to cause the, uh, the, the to stop the, the certification of the election, then why didn't he take action for 71 minutes? I, I just don't think Trump, I just don't think legally Trump has much of a, he has a case. He has a defense. He can put a defense on. There are gaps in this case and areas of the law that are going to favor Trump over the DOJ. But... Anybody that I've listened to, doesn't matter what, what side of the fence they're coming from, they will tell you Trump is going to get convicted of three of these four charges. Right. There's no way around it. All the obstruction stuff and all the conspiracy stuff, that's, that's done. That's yeah. a layup. So we're quickly moving to the, the, the results of these cases. I don't think that – I think we're all, we're all wrapping our mind around – Trump's been charged with 78 federal felonies as of today. You don't walk away from 78 felonies. That's mind-boggling. That is yeah. not going to happen. And George is coming, which might be the biggest and most complex of all of these cases. So I think the, the argument is turning into how do we pull all of this off? Is it fair – and I'm air quoting fair – to Trump – to stack all of these cases in 15 months before the presidential election. Is there another way to go about addressing these things legal that is fair to Trump, but also acknowledges, hey, we do have a legal system and, and Trump, you just can't walk away from it. I, I think we're past, or at least I've gotten past, Trump, Trump's getting convicted. There, there's, no, yeah. there's, no, there's no way that doesn't happen. I guess one of the questions is, should all of this happen before the election? Do you think that the, the judge in this case is going to try to ram this through? Jack Smith said he's ready to go trial in 70 days. Do they try that? Do they back this I up? I think so. Out of all How the cases, this? this, I mean, this is the most likely one uh, if the federal cases to 
proceed rapidly again because of the nature of the Mar-a-Lago documents case and yeah. the security clearances necessary there that's going to proceed more slowly but yes I think this case is definitely going to get un, uh, underway um, fairly soon if not by the end of the year then very very early next year and so I, I don't think it's the role of the legal system to somehow acclimate a candidate for office based on the political calendar. The, what about the DOJ tradition? If we don't, we try not to charge in a in a campaign year. How does that longstanding tradition apply, if at all, to twenty twenty four? I mean, but see, these charging decisions have already happened this year. I mean, they happened yeah. before the campaign year, and. <laughs> Again, I think under normal circumstances and, you know, I think normal candidates, uh, you know, it would be a little bit different calculation. But you also have to remember that Trump intentionally declared his candidacy for president very early um, as part of a strategy to get ahead of the charges. Yeah. And to somehow shield himself, you know, and think that he would be less of a target if he was a candidate for president. So that in of itself— to me, is a clear-cut effort to undermine the justice system. So I don't think, again, I don't think the traditional aspect of the DOJ when it relates to candidates applies here because of everything this candidate has done to put himself in this position. I I agree. And I'm getting really, really tired of conservative-slash-right-wing media folks talking about the 50% of the country that's going to be really, really upset if Trump is convicted of any of this. What about the other 50% that I throw myself in that will lose all faith in America and our system of government if that man, after everything he's done, walks scot-free? Well, let's be honest. I mean, Trump received 47% of the vote in 2020, so not 50-50. And then you have to wonder how many of those still believe he didn't do it. If you look at polling, I mean, there's a significant portion of the population, majority of the population, and then even when you get among Republicans that believe he committed some crimes, that there are some, there's disagreement on whether or not he should run for president or even on whether he should be president. But when it comes to the criminal charges, like there isn't this 50-50 divide in terms of no most people believe his criminality he, is, he has done this and should be convicted right of it I, I just the term that came to mind is that if Trump whatever happens to Trump 50 percent of the country is potentially going to quietly quit being an American that's the phrase that came to my mind when I thought, what would happen if Trump would become president of the United States again? I'm not somebody who's yelling out, I'm moving to Canada, Canada, but I would really downshift in participating in this country. Oh, yeah. I, voting, I mean, mm, I'd have to really consider voting again. What's the point? Well, it, yeah, and that's why this this indictment is so critical because there has to be consequences for what Trump did. There has to be consequences. Did. It was unprecedented. I mean, we had this power grab um, of trying to basically destroy our democracy and to completely um, just overrule a legitimate election, a democratic election. And just because it wasn't successful doesn't mean that that should go unchallenged or unpunished. You know, it was actually closer to being successful than a lot of people realize. All it took was a couple more yes men and women in different offices, and we would have been in a constitutional crisis. Now, you may argue at the end of the day the courts would have settled this and the Supreme Court would have overruled it, but we were very close to being in a constitutional crisis unlike the which we've never seen before. 
And so that can't go – we can't have this become a norm or, or any other candidate in the mold of Trump think that they can do the same and get away with it. We have to actually set clear boundaries that what happened was completely wrong, completely unacceptable, and that can never happen again. For the health of our democracy, it can never happen again. I was having a conversation with somebody on Facebook about this because – uh, you know, there was some people are taking the opinion that, yeah, what Trump did was wrong, but you know, this is so bad for our country. It's embarrassing yeah. what it looks like on the world stage. You know, we look like a banana republic. And I took the opposite view. I said, on the contrary, I think that if there was no action by the legal system, we would look like a banana republic because we mm-hmm. would look like a country that did not hold their political leaders accountable under the law, the equal justice of the law that everybody else is under. And other Western democracies like South Korea, like France, Italy, uh, several of them have tried former political leaders and convicted them mm-hmm. of crimes. That is not completely unheard of or unusual in the Western world. It is in our country. Yes, we've never done that. And so that is a precedent we're setting, but it's not a precedent for democracies well, themselves. If you're Tom Cotton, uh, Ted Cruz, Mark Roby, Mark Roby or Mitch McConnell, go fuck yourself because we're here because you assholes wouldn't do your job. Yeah. And this is your, in our system, it is the very party's job to police their own because you can't now the DOJ is going to. So if you're a Republican and you're mad about this, piss off. This is your problem. Oh, I agree. And if you were not one of the five Republicans in the Senate who voted Handful. to impeach, I think it was only Handful. five. Yes. I was Lisa Murkowski, Mitt Romney, If you're Cassidy. just Republican leadership, fuck you. Well, we're look- here because you will not do your job, which is to kick out a politician in your party who is hurting your party. Yeah. You are working against all the political incentives because you're too chicken shit to take a stand against Trump. Boy, when Trump finally decides the end game is here, it's going to be it's going to be brutal for the Republicans. Well, it is. And I, I just want to go back for a second because your point is so salient. This could have all been decided with the impeachment because it should have. If he had been impeached by the Senate, he would have been barred from federal office. Yeah. So we would not even yep. be having this conversation, and we would have been having a normal presidential election year. And then you have Mitch McConnell come out and say that it's a job of the legal system to go after Trump, and this this is their job and not the the Senate's. Well, now they are, and now That's they're getting the only pushback. defensible position Republicans can have, isn't it? But then the irony is, then they get pushback of being deep state persecution. This is what your leadership said was yes. the correct. That's right. Avenue to ad, to adjudicate these crimes, not the Senate, not the political body, but the legal body. Well, now they're making that pivot to it's the electoral body. <laughs> the only, I guess, and this is from Mark Rubio. We're going to have to have a discussion about your, your feelings about Mark Rubio oh, here in the I, present day. But Mark Rubio basically not, just can, came out oh, and he, said the only, the only entity here that has the right to decide this is the American people in the 2024 election. Well, that, that is, is total absolutely BS. wrong. Again, absolutely that wrong. takes the point of view that somehow the president is above the law and that the only uh, judgment upon the president would be the electoral system. So I assume 
<laughs> I mean, would he have that same uh, position if Trump wasn't running for office again? I mean, it's just it's absurd position it's to tie so that stupid. to no. a possible candidacy for office and that that's the only judgment call upon bad conduct by a former president. No, that's not why we have laws. And from everything that I've heard legally, listening to a ton of legal podcasts and shit this week, I think what what people are starting to prep for is – don't be surprised if Trump gets convicted and then the Supreme Court overturns it. One of the things the Supreme Court has did, and they did this in their last session, they are redefining fraud against the government. Fraud against the government in the way that they are interpreting it means you stole money or you stole property. If you look at their last round of decisions, they had a couple of these where they really are trying to narrow what it means to defraud the government. They're taking a cut at some white collar cases that, hey, you know, traditionally you can say Brandon stole the ballot box or Brandon put up a, uh, a sign that said closed or, or no voting today. And that deprived me of my right to do something. Therefore, Brandon can, 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 committed fraud. The Supreme Court is really starting to look at that and really starting to narrow the scope of what fraud is. In some ways, I think that's, that's legitimate. But we're going to have to get pre- prepared for whatever happens in these courts is not the final outcome of this case. And the Supreme Court is going to have a chance to wait, wait in. This is a textualist conservative Supreme Court. Do not be shocked if some of these things around fraud that he's convicted for in lower courts eventually get conter- overturned by the well, Supreme Court. I mean, that would be very – and again, fraud is one of the charges of – you know. so yeah. keep that in mind. There's of all the charges. But that would be a very tumultuous, I mean, decision. And it would be – again, I think the court also needs to think about their legitimacy. I mean, you go back. There were complaints about the court intervening in Bush v. Gore in 2000. Yeah. And how that, I mean, this would be on a, you know, level just so far beyond that even if they were to overrule, um, you know, the decisions on on Trump. So, yeah, I agree with that. But I would also think and hope that the Supreme Court would tread lightly when it came to this specific case because they do have, um, you know, uh, comp- they can decide which cases they take. I mean, yeah. it's very arbitrary. I mean, they make th- those decisions, and they don't have to give reasons for which cases they reject versus take up. Um, so I would hope that they proceed cautiously. But almost all of these are going to end up at the Supreme Court, would be my guess. I mean, the Supreme Court's going to want to take a whack at almost all of these cases after they're done, just to set precedent and to, to, to settle some, some law. Well, yeah, I mean, to some degree. I, I mean, I don't know if they'll take them all up, though. I, I, I just, I don't know that they're going to be wanting to intervene in each of these cases. I think that they may pick and choose. So where the Mar-a-Lago case was— And they have complete discretion. I would do. not be surprised if they yeah. don't. I mean, look, when it came to Trump's legal challenges in the 2020 election, they did take—I mean, they ruled on some of those, but, I mean, they really just rejected, yeah. you know, many of those. I mean, they didn't take those up necessarily. So where the Mar-a-Lago case, the documents case, Sarah Isger of, um, is she with the dispatch? Yeah, Sarah yes. Isger with yeah, the, dispatch. the dispatch. Who used to work for the DOJ. She used the phrase that the Mar-a-Lago case is the, the perfect example of 
the facts in the case meeting the law. And they just, if they were a Venn diagram, it'd be a complete circle. Yeah. As lawyers go, that's the cases they want. That case, somebody said, it's almost like the indictment was just the, the closing argument because it's already, it, it's already settled. This case is not that. There are some open questions with, with the law in regards to how some of these should be interpreted. David French laid it out very well. If you think of this case as a teeter-totter, you are slightly, the facts of the case meet the law of the case in, in a more than 50% way. So you would still be kind of, your end would be down on, on the teeter-totter. But it's not all the way down. There is room for folks to talk about what is the intent you know, what right. did actually happen? What was defrauded? So while there's some wiggle room for this, for, for Trump, once we get into the, the slate of electors, who put those together? Were those presented as an alternative or as, a, as the slate of, of electors, electors? That narrows down really quickly. So again, Trump is going to get convicted of this. There's no way around that. I mean, we talked before, we, before we turned on the happen. mics with 78 felonies. He, he's going to get convicted. The question isn't anymore. Is Trump finally going to be held accountable that he committed a crime? I believe the answer to that is yes. And it's a matter of how many counts he's convicted of out of yeah. all of the charges. But now the question is, what does that mean? And what do we do? What does that mean for Trump? There's no possible way he continues his presidential election. His campaign I mean, much I, longer, does he? I don't he know can't. how he does when he can't. I mean, he's going to be prevented from actually campaigning for weeks at a time next year. I mean, entire swaths of the election cycle are going to be gone for him. And so he won't be an active campaigner. Nope. You know, so, again, I'm going to always go back to, you know, normal person under normal circumstances would not be running for office yeah. or would be getting out of the race. I really don't know with Trump. Like, I, I don't—it's hard to ascertain what he won't or will do because he is somebody who I think is delusional on many fronts, and I could easily see him really trying to push us as far as he can um, past the nominating convention. Yeah. But then if there—like, what, what happens if there's an actual, like, crisis on the nominating floor? What happens if Republicans decide they want to replace him? Yeah. I, I mean, again, there's so many— unknown questions it gets into like party rules legalese because it's really how far he wants to take and you have to remember too trump doesn't care about the party no so he doesn't care if he blows up the party in this process um if he's able to grandstand off of it to grift off of it to which he will which he will and so he'll go down in flames and he'll take the party with him he doesn't care so let's talk about the party a little bit the republicans and you've been associated with the republican party before you were a republican yeah. senator you ran the <laughs> young tense. republicans out of camp past yeah. tense yeah past tense what could the republican party do and just cut right to it can the republican party far can the republican party force trump off the ticket I, I I don't know how they would. I mean, I don't see what leverage they have because they've acceded to his demands this entire time and so up till this the, point. So. so the Republican Party, okay, let's say I joined the Republican Party and started running for a, a, a Missouri congressional seat and all of my events, I showed up in complete Nazi apparel, just full Nazi, goose step in, Zeke Kyle, the whole thing. 
Is there anything? I'm assuming the Republicans could throw me out of the party. So I know for other offices, so if you're talking about state and local offices, there's a procedure to do that. Um, I don't know when it comes to the presidency and, you know, because you're talking about the RNC um, and their rules. And I'll, you know, I'm ignorant as to if there's a, some type of emergency rules that would allow yeah. them to get a, a nominee after he's already been declared. I think it, I think if there is, it's going to be very difficult. And there's some I mean, there would have to be some type of test. I probably something the RNC executive committee would have to vote on. Um, which is not the full RNC, but obviously a small cadre of officials. Can the RNC, are they giving him any money? And if so, they can cut that off, can't they? Oh, yeah. I mean, well, they've been paying his legal bills. That's what I'm saying. You have to realize for the last, you know, uh, what? Where are we now? Seven years. The RNC has been intertwined with the Trump campaign. Yes. It was the first time in history that the RNC actually tied themselves to a presidential candidate's campaign arm, and basically th- the fundraising was one and the same, and it was combined. So yeah, they can disentangle that. They can stop paying his legal fees. They can stop um, basically paying anything for the campaign and say you're on your own. Um, and that would provide some financial hurt to the Trump campaign. So they, they have some uh, leverage. But he has spent almost $50 million of political contributions on his legal defense. Oh, yeah. That's, that's legal? Well, and I, I, don't, I don't get that. I don't, I don't either. And I've read it is. And it just shows how weak our FEC is right now. I mean, it's basically neutered. We don't have any enforcement of campaign laws. But uh, yeah, apparently, like it falls into this gray area where you can basically you can grift off of a stolen election with their Save America Pact. For and, eternity. Right. And Indefinitely. Move, and use those funds for your own legal expenses, apparently. I, I don't I again, I don't understand why that's legal, but I, I just read it. I was trying to figure out how to is. say this nicely, but but fuck it. If you work a 40 hour week job and you're sending Trump money, you're an idiot. Just well, flat yeah. out. I, I, I've tried to be sensitive. The people to on your, Medicare and Medicaid you're just that are sending Trump moron. money. There's yeah. just no other way to do it. And I'm sorry. At some point, you're a willing mark in this crime. I have no sympathy for you at all. If you are still sending that man money, a I've billionaire. Reliably, he's a billionaire, and he's relying on the money of people who are on Medicare fixed just, incomes just to pay for his legal defense. Just awful. Yeah, and, and the same that's going to continue. And to put in perspective, one of the first campaign finance reports he put out, and again, I'm just putting this out there to show the juxtaposition of this uh, man and his campaign, who of immense wealth, and then the reliance on these very low income Americans. They paid 108000 in campaign funds for Melania's hair for, for her, hair. her stylist. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Like, and what? This has no impact on anyone. No. And how is that a campaign expense? But again, it, like, how is that legal? It and, gets and, back and, to what we've talked I mean, about. Here's what I don't understand Trump's entire brand is crime. Everything about it is crime, dishonesty, lying. It's at the core of what he is. What possible defense is Trump going to put on? No. He, he has never respected any boundaries and he's never operated under any legal barriers or under the law he's never seen the law as an obstacle either so this is somebody in the entirety of his career has operated under his own set of rules and and that's never been the set of rules that the rest of us operate under no and i think too jack smith he did a couple things that 
legal Twitter is saying we're very clever. Number one, in this indictment is only Trump. There are no other co-conspirators indicted right. on this on this one. They'll indict them later, so we can go real quick. You don't yeah. have to you don't have to round up those six all those lawyers and all the and lawyers all and legal teams area. for Absolutely. them. Yeah, they're all going to do their their own thing. So we can get to this trial kind of very 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 quickly. Second two is he did not charge in in insurrection. And I heard a guy, too, talk about there's a 1980-whatever case where the Supreme Court laid out, I think it's called Brandenburg versus Ohio, the specifics for insurrection. You, you, can't, you can't make it. It is such a high bar to get over. I mean, you literally have to say, follow me, Brandon. We're running into this building and taking over the government. There's just no possible way you, you could get to that. Well, and the law underpinning it is the Insurrection Act of 1807. So it's a, it's a yeah. very old law. And so, yeah, I, and you're right. Trying I don't know how to many get times. to that, I don't, I don't know if you can. Right. The other thing, too, people talk about this, this denying rights law that was – that's kind of a, a Civil War era – uh, relic and a lot of people I heard on the right their immediate reaction is what's that that's ridiculous this shows you how dumb this is they're using laws that were targeted at the KKK in the 1860s and 70s to go after Trump doesn't that sound ridiculous to you well if you look at the J6 folks and if you look at there's a gentleman I think his name was Daryl Mackey Daryl Mackey was just convicted under that same statute, denying That's people right. of rights, because now if you listen to Charlie Kirk, he'll tell you, well, all he did was make a meme about Hillary Clinton. That's how out of pocket the government's gotten. And that's how bad this First Amendment case is. They're going to throw this guy in jail for 10 years because he created a meme. Well, yes, he did create a meme. Yes, it was about Hillary Clinton. And yes, he put it on Twitter. The meme basically said targeted at black people, you can vote by text. And if you text Hillary to 5955, your vote counts. Avoid the lines. Vote now. Then he had all the standard taglines on it for uh, for uh, uh, making it look legitimate. Mm -hmm. How many people you think did that, Brandon? Oh, I mean, you're going to have take a guess. I mean, at least tens of thousands. 4,997 people okay. thought they were voting for that. Is that just posting a meme, or is that a little bit more than that? Oh, no. That requires effort and forethought and yes. intent. I mean, that's, yeah. My point being is this set of laws has been used recently in January 6th and other places, and this judge is very— She's very comfortable with this law and handing out sentences under this law, even sentences that are more than what the prosecution is asked for. So, again, I don't see how Trump gets out of this case. The biggest thing with this case in Trump, does he take the stand? Because if we get right back to if the crux of this case is, did you believe Trump believed he won the election? The only way to believe that is to hear it from him himself. And to do that, he's got to get on the stand under oath. I don't think that that's will an ever attorney's happen. worst nightmare. They're not going to allow him on the stand. They're never going to let that lunatic. But then again, it's stand. a catch 22 for Trump because not being on the stand, I mean, he can't provide for his defense. And so, I mean, what little defense he has. So, hmm. yeah, he's, he's caught in a bind. Do we know who his lawyers are going to be for this yet? I saw that goofy Alana Habada, I can't say her name, the one that he pulled out of the strip mall in Florida. She got on and talked about Hunter Biden's laptop a little bit, but 
I really don't know who his attorneys are. I don't know that they've been named. Yeah, we haven't heard who they're going to be. I mean, it took him a while to scrounge up attorneys for the Mar-a-Lago case. It'll be interesting to see how long it takes for this. And there's six co-defendants in this case. I believe they're Rudy Giuliani's one of them. Sidney Powell is one of them. Jeffrey Clark is one of them. Um, Eastman Eastman, is one of them. They think... Maybe Borish Epstein or Epstein could oh, yeah, be the, one of them. Right. So what's going to happen with those folks is they're each going to get a call from the, the Department of Justice that basically tells them we can go one of, well, there's three things maybe that you can do. You can plead guilty, which we don't think you're going to do that. You can help us with information to convict Donald Trump, or we can fall on you with the full force of the federal government. You got, you got a couple months. Pretty clear choice. Talk it off with your lawyer and, <laughs> and go. And you've seen this Smith guy. He's pretty aggressive. Yeah. When we say we're going to go at you, we're going to go at you. Brandon, how many of those people do you think are going to offer up information that the DOJ wants? Uh, I mean, I think... I mean, I think a few of them will. I think, I think they're going to bend. I think a few of them will. I think, I, I think when push comes to shove and you have the threat of federal incarceration hanging over you your you know your your mood changes well and the size and scope this trial is going to take three weeks to a month yeah it could have 200 to 300 witnesses this is this is a massive trial to have we can get to it quickly because it's only one defendant Trump, and there's no classified docs like there are, are in, are in um, Mar-a-Lago. But there is a lot to chew through on this. So I don't know. This Jack Smith has said he wants the trial to start in 70 days. I don't think there's any possible way that can, that can happen. Probably not. Uh, that's probably a little bit too aggressive. But I do think it will start sooner than any of the other trials we've— uh, the indict- indictments that we've seen thus far. And so— I think the combination of the way that this was handled, the one defendant, um, the judge, the jurisdiction, I think that'll all contribute to a very quick yeah. time frame for getting so this underway. So you're not sympathetic to any argument Trump could make to say, hey, all this needs to be pushed till after the election. No, not at all. I did. I, I need to verify it. As somebody was posting this on Twitter, actually, some a legal guy who um, is fairly legit, but the Trump's attorneys were trying to make a... Uh, an argument that the venue should be changed to, to West, West Virginia, Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> like, because it's more diverse. <laughs> Andrew McCarthy made a great point. He tried the people who had did the first attack on the World Trade Center six blocks from where the attack took place. Right. It's like, it is extremely difficult to get a change of venue, and don't, don't look for that. Don't look for that. I happen. mean— that seems like a Hail Mary pass, but it also just seems completely transparent in terms of what they're trying to do. It's ridiculous. I, like, really? Do you <laughs> believe that uh, Trump can get a fair trial in D.C.? Do you think you can panel a jury that will look at this objectively? I think you can. I think the thing with D.C., though, too, is you're dealing with like very educated yeah. jurors, too, who um, are, you know, no federal laws, privy to that. It's a very yeah. different population than like Southern This is a Florida. pretty educated jury right. pool. They're used to new, used to D.C. They're used to government. They're going to be very receptive, I think, to the government's argument. I think so, too. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons Trump wants us moved. But, but I think, again, the combination of factors work in the prosecution's favor for this particular case, much more so than the Mar-a-Lago case. What does the next six months look like? What, where do we... What, what do we... 
The Mar-a-Lago well, case really hasn't even kicked off. There's no witness list. There's no published witness list. There's no discovery announcements. We're about to get into these things. And when the ball starts rolling, it's just going to be a non And some of these are going to be happening simultaneously. And so... Can they do that? Well, I think that's what they're going to have to work out scheduling because it's going to be difficult for the DOJ's team to be bouncing between two different venues. Does Trump have a, a violation of rights argument where he says, listen, the DOJ is doing this on purpose. They're coordinating with the folks in Atlanta and New York, and they're just trying to drive me out of the election by doing this. And the only fair thing to the American people, you want to talk about fraud, you know, the DOJ and Jack Smith is trying to defraud the people out of the opportunity to vote for me. And to avoid that, all of this should be pushed back to after the election. I don't think legally that makes any sense. I don't, and I don't think, I don't think there's a legal leg that. to stand on for I, that. I don't think so. Because you're talking about charges. You're not talking about conviction yet. So, no, I think that'd be a difficult case to make. I do think it'll be interesting, especially Fannie Willis is supposed to uh, make yeah. an indictment decision before August or September 1st. So we're less than a month. What's up with her dragging out this timeline? I haven't understood that because we were supposed to have an indictment sooner and then that didn't happen. And then she put out that messaging to try to get everybody ready and like security and everything. I heard that a bunch of like two or three lawyers all got either or going to be in. The the delay was caused by something happened and some of the lawyers became part of the case and other lawyers left, left their defendants. And everybody that... Most people had to re-lawyer up halfway through because okay. their lawyers got sucked into this. So I could, I that guess could be I a could legitimate, see that yeah, happen. But she also seems delay. to be playing a little bit of a troll game with what she wants to do and, and, and when she's going to do it. Right. And so, again, it'll be interesting to see that charging decision when that comes out because this is one that we have been told about for a while now that has been delayed significantly. But, yeah, you're essentially you're going to have four – cases it's almost dizzying to think about um, beginning of 2024 play out again all on different time frames different phases and so yeah i mean from a legal standpoint it's almost impossible to think or to know kind of where or how trump is going to continue his campaign i mean he can continue it in name i mean he can do anything right i mean he can be in prison and still run for office technically do you think there comes a point in time when trump like you said doesn't the words i quit will never come out of his mouth no but is there a time that he maybe just downshifts just ignore just just takes a step back for the campaign but doesn't officially say no i i I don't know i don't i I I, it's possible um yeah, I I almost wonder, too, from a just a physical stamina standpoint, how Trump is going to be able to campaign with I all this know. swirling around him, a mental standpoint, you know, emotional, like <laughs> dealing with all that and going between to different courts and jurisdictions well, and what would make and him running quit? for office? How do you I what 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 would make him finally say enough? I'm out. And, uh, well, and we're past that point, right? It would have been a plea yeah, deal. Right. It would have been some way where he could have saved face and said, you know, I didn't admit to guilt. You know, this was, but, you know, I'm doing this and giving some type of reason. So there's, there's no, I can't think of a scenario where Trump holds a press conference and say, I'm dropping out of the presidential race. I can't think of that either. No, I, I don't. I don't think that's going to happen. Because when he's, while he's in the presidential race, it allows him to continue to grift as well. So, well, And the Republicans can't have that. No. Because if he's out, is his base out? Right. Because if his base is out, 
They don't show up in November. Yeah, they're done. So you're kind of locked into the Republicans are on that. What the on the the, they're riding the tiger, hoping the tiger eats them last. They created this environment, too. Let's not forget that they have had numerous opportunities to disavow themselves of Trump since January 6th. And instead, they have remained in lockstep and just echoed every claim, every claim of persecution. And, and they have been relentless. And so now it's difficult for any of them to back away from that. I mean, we're realizing how difficult that is for people like Chris Christie, who were once cheerleaders, who <laughs> have made that pivot. Can you imagine, um, you know, some uh, another uh, candidate? I mean, that's why DeSantis, if he made that pivot now, he would be totally uh, looked at as unserious and well, and just fake because it, it's just it's not the mold that he's put out there. Hey, I enjoy it when Chris Christie comes out and kicks Trump in the nuts. Oh, I, I do too. I think it's funny and I enjoy it and Trump's deserved it. But I just want to say, hey, fat ass, you were right there for four years. Why didn't you do something? Hey, I know you come out about bad Trump is he should never be president. Weren't you the one giving him debate prep to try to make him president? Hey, Christy, why don't, why don't you just Were you down? the one why that, just like, down? you know, basically flipped that debate his way? Yes. Like, at the very I mean, beginning, you did all of that. I understand the role Chris Christie's playing. I think it's a valuable it's role. It's a necessary role. But Chris Christie is not going But not no, going and it's anywhere. one reason why he's, like, at 70% among Republican voters, because these are people, too, that look at him as, like, you were part of this for six years, and now you've pivoted 180 yeah. degrees. Why should we support you? Yeah. So it becomes very difficult for any candidate to take advantage of that. And even people like Tim Scott and Nikki Haley, because they've been lukewarm, you know, at times, but then they have always like just found their way back to Trump's defense. So unless you've been on the outside and you've been beating that drum mm-hmm. from the beginning, like, what is your play? How do you stand out? I mean, if you're not a Will Hurt or an Aza, Aza yeah. Hutchison, you come across as completely phony and well, insincere. If I'm Trump, you want me to drop out? Look at this group of losers I'm running against. I mean, DeSantis has flamed out massively. Have you heard he's going to debate um, Gavin Newsom? No. Is he actually going to debate mm-hmm. him? Where's November that? 8th or the 10th is the date. It's going to be a Fox News. Sean Hannity is going oh, to be the monitor. I can't wait to watch that. Oh that that's going to be awesome. Huh. So I have Little Meatball Ron, who I've already emasculated and, and crushed. Who, by the way, cannot engage with human voters no, at no, all? Like if you've all. seen no, over the last few him. weeks. The... It, it, it's not going to happen. Yeah. And the rest of them are all feckless folks who half of them had to ask my permission to run. And the other half won't say a bad word about me. So why am I dropping out? What what do I care if I spend all summer in court? I'm still going to beat that group of rejects. Right. I could see Trump basically saying, no, if if you want me out of the race, somebody beat me. And right now, I don't think anybody... I don't think anybody can can do that. No, the, the, it's just. I mean, he has that primary now. I mean, <laughs> there there doesn't seem to be anything between now and Super Tuesday preventing Trump from winning. I mean, the biggest news that happened this week on the insider political front: uh, the California GOP decided to go to a winner take all status okay. as a state rather than um, allocating proportionally their uh, votes in the primary. That was something Trump team wanted because they know that they can get, you know, uh, basically 50 percent of those votes and then they can get all of them, you know, winner take all. So those types of decisions are happening with the state parties on the on the state level. And that's only going to help Trump's ability to really run away with this pretty quickly. What you just said is the Republican Party is still taking active steps to help Donald Trump win the nomination. Oh, yeah. That that's insane. That's insane. 
do the Republicans still think they can land this ship? Do they still think there's a graceful exit to the Trump years? They have to be delusional. What I heard you just say is the Republicans still believe, hey, we could still get out of this unscathed. There's a way that we could get through the the Trump era. We could bring this to a conclusion and still be, as constructed, a viable national political party. That's crazy. I don't see how you just press the reset button and try to go back to normal after all this. Well, and what he's done is infected so much of the party. What's there to go back to? And who even wants to go back to anything? The, the Reaganites are gone. There's nobody left that's even talking about traditional Republican values or wanting to go back to being a, 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 a traditional Republican. Right. Oh, and by the way, you've already sucked up all the money, too, for this, for this uh, election. Trump's already saturated and soaked out every single dollar. He's choking out individual candidates and individual state operations because he's just soaking up all of the money. And he's using it for his own personal personal legal fees and the republican party just stands there and lets him do that yeah i don't i mean they haven't put up any type of offense and no. i so yeah how do you disentangle yourself from a personality cult where you have redefined the party as this man and have failed to have any coherent policy agenda um other anything really other than just being an arm of donald trump you can't just easily I'll pivot ask the from question that. differently. I'm not, do you want to untangle yourself? I'm not convinced you do because another gigantic exit ramp is opened up for you guys to say, right. we're done. No one will take it. No. So I guess we just, we just keep, we going. talked about this before, like again and again, we find ourselves in the same place. Will this be it? Nope. Will this be it? No, <laughs> just over and over. And really we've learned it. It's nothing. There is no, is there any, can you think of, I can't think because even now the fact that he has stolen your donor base, your small dollar donor base blind. I mean, he's putting Donald Trump is putting fundraising for the GOP in jeopardy for the next decade with what's happening right now. Oh, completely. Well, I mean, (laughs) and if you look at the voting habits of like millennials and Gen Z, I mean, what used to be more nuanced or balanced voting has completely shifted. Yeah. So you have voting patterns that are changing. You have um, states that have come into play and have become competitive like Arizona and Georgia simply because of Trump. And being on the scene. Yeah. And how many elections do you have to lose? I mean, 2018 cycle, 2020, 2022, like you have all of these missed opportunities. Um, and the fact is, let's get back to basics. Trump has never won the popular vote in no. any national election. Nope. Not once. He, he's never had a popular vote majority. Trump has never been able to get over that he was the first president, I believe, or he increased his vote total from 2016 to 2020, <laughs> more than any president in the United States. All of the facts, if you just look at them in isolation to Trump's performance, say landslide. Trump does not have the mental capacity to understand all of the conditions on the ground caused by the pandemic, most of them, that led to his defeat. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, fuck off to John Eastman, too. I really want to give him a big giant F you. He oh, goes yeah. on he Charlie Kirk and talks about, well, you know— 
well, this was all because of the uh, the illegality and the unconstitutionality of states like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan who added drop boxes, who changed some of the rules around how you could vote remotely. And then it's on the Democrats who promoted early voting. No, 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 dum-dum. The state Supreme Courts and then the United States Supreme Court in this session said, no, no, no. All of that was legitimate. Right. So you're still operating from a premise that's wrong. Yeah. I, I just think, I think what this takes is 12 people in a jury box to cut through all of this and just say, you did it. You're guilty. You're accountable. No excuses. It's your fault. No yeah. excuses. And I think we might actually get that. Now, what that means after that comes out, I got, I got no idea. You're not going to throw him in jail. He's not going, he's no. not going to put Trump in jail. That's ridiculous. Well, and I think why this becomes so clear-cut is they can't even argue that, you know, the popular vote was within a fraction of a percent or they were dealing with one state yes. that had, you know, they were basically trying to change, basically turn the tables um, in four different states with um, having lost a popular vote margin by five points. Yeah. What was it? Seven million vote difference. This was not like the 2000 election where no. it came down to one state, no. Florida, and less than a half a million votes. Like the margins were not there. So they were just throw anything against the wall. Let's, let's try Georgia. Let's try Arizona. Whatever we can do. Trump himself said it best in the Georgia case <clears throat> where he told the Secretary of State, we just need to find 11,000. Sure. Just find him. 500, whatever I'll the vote the total. He just wanted the exact number of votes he needed he didn't care how he got him mm-hmm. to overtake biden in that state and in modern political politics 2020 was a blowout yeah i, I mean, mean it wasn't really that close so trump not at all yeah i mean that if you look at the past five elections um and and the fact that trump as an incumbent lost with the worst performance uh mm-hmm. going back to any incumbent going you'd have to go back to 1929 herbert hoover uh, yeah. The Great Depression. Um, so that election, um, or 1932, the the election where Hoover was beat by FDR, um, you know, that was the last time an incumbent lost by that large of a margin. And that was like the Great Depression, and Hoover's just like, oh, the market will work it out. Right. Just come on, guys. So Everybody if, relax. So that's the thing. So even if you go to, like, the, you know, the 1980 election where Carter lost, or you Now go, that was a blowout when, when Reagan took out Carter— and when Reagan beat Mondale, those were both massive blowouts. Well, yeah, Mondale especially. But, I mean, the Carter election, if you're looking at popular vote, yeah. was not so much. Okay. It was very close. And then um, and then even, like, uh, 19, um, uh, 1992 the, with that election because of the third party was also very yeah. close. So, But, if yeah, if you look at the margin between Biden and Trump— um, I mean, seven million votes, um, fifty-two forty-seven. That's big in yeah. today's politics. Oh yeah. I mean, George W. Bush only won re-election fifty-one to forty-nine yeah. in yep. two thousand four, and again, the Republicans in the last seven election cycles and presidential races have only won the popular vote once, and that was two thousand four. Like that should also be a and Bush. That's coming off nine eleven too. Yeah. I mean, it's three years after that, but. Mm. All right, Brandon, we're going to call it there because I'm about 60% sure we actually have a podcast. There might be a small uh, technical glitch that uh, maybe prevented us from recording. So let's see what we got. I think that's our hour. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Craig. 
Thanks for listening to Two Men in the Middle. Make sure to give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our website at twomeninthemiddle.com. Drop us an email at twomeninthemiddle at gmail.com or tweet at us at Two Men in the Middle. We'll see you next week. 